right, well, today we conclude with our series in the book of Proverbs. It's been a good run throughout the summer, and I have learned so much. I'm not sure about you and which message might stand out the most, but today is the final one. And we're going to look at a lot of different statements uh, in the book of Proverbs and a couple other sections in the New Testament. And I want you to see one thing we have noticed if you read from Proverbs 1 to 31, those chapters, as I was encouraging you to do so, you'll see this consistent contrast between the wise man and the foolish man. For instance, Proverbs 1, 7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Another one very similar is Proverbs 14, 16. One who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil but a fool is reckless and careless. All right, these passages and others, they all speak to the, the life of somebody who is wise or the one who is foolish. And we read these to instruct us, to shape us, to help hone our sensitivity to the things that are honoring to the Lord and to run away from the things that would be dangerous for us, the things that our, our world screams to enjoy or our flesh just wants to so much. Well, throughout all of this, there is a passage in the New Testament. In fact, the, the letter, 1 Corinthians, speaks a lot to wisdom and foolishness. And I haven't got to it at all during this series, and so we're going to look at that today. Uh, I want to start with the words of 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. It says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Foolishness can be used to describe actual foolish behavior. You know, any of us would look at it and go, that's pretty foolish. It doesn't matter even who you are, Christian or not Christian, you can look at the same thing and say that would be foolish. Like, that's often how it's used. But it is also used in Scripture to describe Christ followers in the sense of their pursuit of the, of the Lord may not make sense to other people. It, is, uh, it has the appearance of foolishness, even though it is actually wise. Our pursuit of the Lord, our prayers to the Lord, our time gathering as his people, prioritizing God is wise to us. But to those outside of Christ, it may not make sense. And the language in scripture is actually, it's foolishness. So today we're going to look at this concept of holy foolishness. That's an oxymoron because if it's holy, it's not foolish at all. However... Holy foolishness, when I say this, what I mean is what is holy in the Lord's eyes, but it's equally foolish in society's eyes. Or what God celebrates, but society as a whole, it questions and it mocks and it condemns and it even cancels. Or what God views as honorable and acceptable as a sacrifice to him, but our society, again, it ridicules or derides or scoffs or jeers at. Several of you on a regular basis, I would say all of us, but let's just say several of you on a regular basis encounter this sort of tension in your home. If you're a Christ follower and your spouse isn't or your parents aren't and they say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you going to church again? You know, Lynn told me when she got back from Kenya two weeks ago that a lot of the widows and the children that are in the church they're, um, the men of the home, like the husbands and the dads, they don't go to the church. And they actually, they 
will beat their wives and their kids when they get home from church. But those kids and wives will still walk miles to go to church and then go home and take the hits. And they live with that on a weekly basis. Like today, right? It's uh, the afternoon in Kenya. And maybe it's going down right now, that kind of abuse in the home. Well, you experience that maybe in your home, uh, maybe in your workplace, particularly if you're the only Christian or a few of you in your, in your school. It could even be a Christian school, but definitely public school. I grew up in public school my whole life, and so that's, uh, that's just kind of part of the conversation. They're all saying, hey, you want to go, like, you know, you want to go do this or that? And you're like, no, I'm not. And not just because I'll incur the discipline of my parents if I engage in this stuff, but because it's, it's not what I do. And it appears as foolishness. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Another way to describe this would be if you're a Christ follower, your eyes have changed, your heart has changed. You begin to see things that were once foolish and they now are no longer that way. You see it as pleasing to the Lord. But before you walked with Christ, that same exact action seemed like foolishness. It seemed totally, I don't know, insane. Why would somebody do that? Why would they live that way, you might have said. And then God changed your heart. As we walk through this today, it, um, uh, I, I'm not uh, blind to the fact that some of you here even uh, view Christ and what he has done for you as foolishness because God has not changed your heart yet either. You haven't placed your faith in him. You haven't um, surrendered your life to him. And so as we talk through this, my encouragement for you with that term foolishness is not to feel put off by or looked down upon at all, but just to allow the language and the topic today to ask yourself, uh, ha have you responded to what Christ has done for you or is it foolishness? So holy foolishness, you know, one of the most common ways this tends to be expressed is praying about big decisions. You might have a neighbor or a friend or a family member say, you're gonna pray about that? What do you mean pray about that? Like you're gonna talk to somebody in the sky about that? You're like, yeah, I am. They're like, so are you gonna meditate on that? Like reflect on that? I'm like, yeah, but I, I literally am gonna talk to God about that. I'm gonna ask him what his will is on this matter. Not just wise counsel from others who are like-minded and love the Lord too, but I'm gonna pray about it. And it might make sense to those on the outside of this same equation, but it might look like foolishness. And often those holy, holiest things do appear as foolishness. So my goal this morning is to do two things. One is to affirm you if you are in this, particularly on a regular basis, not so much the thing that'll surprise you, which could be for any of us later today or tomorrow or something, that, that moment, that conversation you weren't expecting and you're gonna say, whoa, I'm like feeling that tension of the foolishness dynamic in what they might be perceiving for something that I treasure and value because my heart loves after the things God loves. So that might happen to surprise you, but I'm more so wanting to affirm those of you who are living this in, in a certain scenario in your mind on a regular basis and I want you to see how it is honoring to, to the Lord and how he will strengthen you and equip you and and give you what you need in those moments. And I also want to equip 
the, you know, uh, those of us as well, to be able to know how to think through this, how to weigh the decisions. Proverbs is about wisdom. How do you know? Are you walking in the foolishness of Christ or the foolishness of the world? You know, the things of the old man or the things of even society that they celebrate and God doesn't at all. Okay, so to get us started, we have this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open there, because it's a lengthy passage and it describes it at length. And Paul, again, he's writing to the church in Corinth. This is in Greek culture, so they're all about kind of like that, that knowledge is power concept, the, the, the mind, the thinking, not so much uh, stories, but very, very literal language and all that kind of stuff. So there, there, there's some of that that plays into this. 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the, of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through, folly, uh, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to Jews and it's folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may be able to boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, and he names four things, wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it's written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You know, as I read over this, it's, it's quite evident that this is, this has an undercurrent that's very similar in our society. It's that one that's portrayed a lot in movies in which um, somebody's like the maverick, you know, they're against the grain, they do something that's different, they don't want to be herded, they don't want to do, I don't know, it's like an it's in, a, it's in most movies because it just kind of pulls at us. What we're describing is different that, than that dynamic. That dynamic is one that just kind of evokes this sense of, uh, let's see, what the language tends to be your authentic self, be true to your heart, that kind of stuff. What we're talking about from an outside observer may appear to be the same, but I'd say the key difference is we're talking about what what honors God, what he commands, dedication toward his pursuits. And yeah, it may look like you're going in against the grain, but you're not doing it just because that's what Americans do, right? We're revolutionaries kind of stuff. But the holy pursuit of the things of God. 
So as you look at this passage, there's a few things that might be helpful in context just to read or, or be aware of. One of those is that the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, he lived and he acted in ways that were incredibly different than what people were, were expecting. So for the Jews, they saw the Messiah to be one who would lead them in politi political victory against the Romans. They viewed anyone who was crucified to be cursed. And so the Messiah, Jesus Christ, crucified, did not meet what they expected. So it was a stumbling block to them, as we read. To the Gentiles, well, any leader, any religious victor would not be crucified at all. That's not beautiful. That's not celebratory. Uh, that's ugly. That is um, against the values of the Greeks. So for them, it's folly. And yet what we read here is that Jesus Christ indeed was sent as God's atonement for our sin. And yet it does defy a lot of the normal basics. Again, I mentioned culture, and I'm going to just throw this out there as a, as a thought quickly. There's an element where Christianity is so ingrained in our culture that... We even love good stories about the unexpected savior. There's a lot of books about that. Usually it's the hero who has a weakness and he overcomes that weakness and then leads everyone to victory. Uh, happens with like Superman, you know, happens with other stuff. <laughs> um, most stories. Well, there's a sense where a lot of novelists or intellectuals or others, they read the story of Jesus Christ very similar and they just kind of, tie it together as one of those stories where you have the, the one who is victorious, he is killed, but he stands up and chases after and rises again, and we follow him. And they view it just a little bit more like, um, like a good story. But for us, this is not, this is not a good story. This is a, a great story. This is the story. This is the one that is to be told that actually informs kind of that part of your heart that allows writers to make these other stories. So as we look at this passage here, and as we, as we just recognize this, this great oxymoron, let me, let me read this for us here. The idea of being crucified, it, it, it denotes shame and weakness and failure and loss and scandalous evil. But our Messiah denotes grandeur and strength and success and victory and the highest honor. And so Jesus as the crucified Messiah, it is confusing, and it does break expectations. This is why one reason I like how John Piper describes it simply. I have this quote on the screen. He says, what was once foolishness to us, a crucified God, must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. Most of the Corinthian church, as it describes here, they weren't the wise ones. They weren't the ones of the highest honor in their society. And yet God used them and called them to, his, to himself. And the reasoning is at the very end of that passage, so that they can't boast. It's not like they were amazing people, and then all of a sudden they can get to heaven and say, thanks for bringing me in here. I mean, I'm, I was pretty awesome on earth, and now I'm, now I'm here with you. Well, the same for us today, too. God sovereignly chooses and chases after and reveals himself uh, to all mankind. But often it is those 
who are not of the highest honor in a society, who aren't the richest, uh, aren't the smartest, aren't the, um, um, the ones of highest esteem. And even if they happen to be that way, the ones that receive God, they don't view themselves that way uh, because they're humble in heart. And because of Jesus, God gives a righteous status to sinful people. He sets them apart for his purposes and he gives them spiritual life and he frees them from slavery to sin. I even notice this contrast, in, in, again, in our own society. Let's just use American society. society. It's the one I know the best. When you have a celebrity or um, an influencer, an intellectual writer, whoever it might be, if they come to Christ, quite quickly they start to lose their status within their little field. Uh, they, um, let's take um, a Hollywood actor. Uh, he or she will slowly not get the same parts um, that they would have because of their faith. It's pretty common in the music industry, in the sports industry. That tends to be not a big deal because it says, hey, just talk about sports. You know, don't talk about your faith. But quite often, God uses these, uh, the, the method of drawing after those who are humble in heart. And 99.9% of the people in the world are not of the highest order and all that. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. And that contrast the fool who lives with holy foolishness. Think about those in scripture who had these moments of what we'll call holy foolishness. I think of Daniel being thrown in the, in the lion's den or his friends who were thrown in the fiery furnace. We can think of David fighting Goliath. On the outside, that reads quite foolish. But God brought victory. We see Abraham and Isaac on the mountain in which God delivers Isaac and allows them to worship him. We see somebody like Jonah going to the Assyrians in Nineveh, which is what we're going to start next week in our new series. We see Peter walking on water to go walk to Jesus. We see Paul radically converting and no longer persecuting the church. And foremost of all the different stories we could recall, and there's uh, hundreds, we would see the Son of God himself dying for mankind to be saved. There's a holy foolishness to that, holiness in that it pleased the Father. Foolishness in that he died for a world who had no care for him. He died for his own people, who he spent time with, healed, did miracles, loved well, and they still killed him. I like this quote. I grew up learning this and have clung to it. It's by Jim Elliott, who died as a missionary in Ecuador. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me ask us this question for you to do a little evaluation. Is there anything that you're hanging on to that you're gonna lose when you pass away? Anything that you are prioritizing that is of earthly value? It makes sense in, in, in your eyes, but it may not celebrate what God values. Anything that we're chasing after, building our empire, building our kingdom, chasing after careers, chasing after opportunities, doing it without prayer, 
doing it in a way that those around us are cheering us on, uh, but they don't know the Lord like you do. I recall how some of you know this, um, but it, uh, for me, personal story here, it was, it was incredibly challenging to go to a Christian university for college when the majority of my friends were all going to West Virginia University. I grew up about 30 minutes away from there. So everyone's going to WVU uh, at the time. It's probably still in place, but at the time, West Virginia was offering huge scholarships to have their, their graduates stay in state. And so for anybody who just kind of graduated high school, well, a little bit more than that, but it didn't take much to get full rides to any of the colleges in state. And so financially and socially, there was great pressure to go there. And then I even tried to frame it like this, all throughout my senior year, frame it like this. Hey, I'm gonna go to West Virginia University to be like a, a missionary there to my friends, you know. Um, continue what I've been doing throughout high school. But it was during my senior year that God really convicted me to pursue ministry, education, to learn from Christian leaders, not just um, like get a religion degree, say at another school, but go get a Christian leadership degree at Liberty and to grow and to run in that. And it was so difficult telling all my friends that I'm going to Liberty. First of all, there was a Liberty High School within our district, so that didn't make any sense to everybody. And then also, they didn't know what Liberty was. Um, they, very few people were aware of it. Like, it's a Christian school? Where is this? It wasn't, even if you were outside of WVU, it wasn't like I was saying I was going to one of those um, elite schools up in the Northeast or one of these big football schools or something. Instead, it's like this, it's kind of an embarrassing uh, pursuit. Even now, Liberty's a lot, got a lot more um, opportunity. But at the time, it sounded, it was, uh, it was a little tough to say. But I was already committed and I was rolling in. And I wonder for you how many of you, when you have these conversations with other people, you tell them what God's doing in your life or your heart, and it feels a little embarrassing. It feels a little bit challenging. Uh, could be even right now gathering for a church. In our, in our town, there's thousands of families who are not surrendered to the Lord and don't prioritize them. And there's hundreds of Christian families the same way. And here you say, yeah, I, I'll hang out with, like I'll catch up after, after lunch because I'm gonna go to church this morning. That can feel kind of embarrassing. If that's you, I, I've been there. Even within Christian circles, sometimes you do certain things that people look at, uh, your own Christian friends. Usually they're lukewarm Christian friends. Because if they're hearing from the Lord and, and walking with the Lord, they're usually um, good cheerleaders for the things of God. But once in a while, you might feel called to do something that's a little different. Could be going on a mission trip, for instance. I remember when I, I went, I've done two different trips that are hiking in the Himalayas, in closed countries, and if you get caught, you get not only arrested, but an array of um, unknowns. And... Most people were supportive of those opportunities when I was in my younger 20s, but not everybody was. And that was so interesting to be face-to-face -face with other Christians who scoffed at 
I'm like, well, I would expect that from somebody who doesn't know Christ. But we were just standing next to each other and worshiping. Why? What's the issue? How about you? Have you had those kinds of interactions? Maybe in a group, uh, like one of our small groups, maybe uh, uh, here on Sunday morning, whatever it may be. Last personal example, uh, it was a couple weeks ago, actually. It was during this series. The reason I'm preaching on this is because during this series, I, uh, the Lord has actually used this whole series on Proverbs and wisdom to kind of give me a light bulb moment in my own walk with the Lord. One that several of you, you're already there. You've been there maybe for decades. For me, I didn't realize that I, I wasn't kind of in a certain spot with my walk with the Lord until this happened. It was a couple weeks ago. It was actually like during the worship service um, before the first service here. And then I preached on justice and just kind of like, you know, just unloaded without stuff, without notes and everything, just uh, going through it. And it's because like two songs before that, the Lord broke my heart free in an area because uh, I'm sharing this. It, it's, I usually don't, uh, if you're new, I usually don't go... Uh, full-on testimony sermons, but today's a little bit more like that. Uh, for, see, our church is seven and a half years old, and then I was here for two years before that as a campus pastor. So I've been in town all, this, all that time. And mostly, there are, there are Christians who have been so excited to be a part of the things that God is doing here. And it's... It's been a really um, treasured experience to baptize probably 150 people, uh, a lot of baby dedications, a lot of watching people um, go through our, our ministries. Several of you have experienced freedom in Christ for the first time, or, um, or you walked away from the faith and you're now back and you're experiencing that freedom of walking with him and we're running the race with you. It's really special and amazing. Um, but there's a handful of conversations uh, and, and more specifically a handful of people who have been uh, used by the enemy to be a little bit like a thorn in the flesh for me and they're Christ followers or at least they say they are. And that's, I wasn't really sure where to categorize that experience. And this has been a few times over the course of the years, but I wasn't sure what to do with that. And maybe you are, maybe that's familiar to you. Like that's like the life you live because you have a, um, a Christian in name only family member or something. But for me, I, that's not a common thing. My parents are Christians. They didn't ridicule my faith. They celebrated it. My closest friends are Christians. They, didn't, they haven't ridiculed me going into ministry, but, um, but celebrated it. So it has been a, um, a disorienting experience to have people who've been in our church family who I have cared for, pastored, literally that sacred relationship of the shepherd to the sheep sometimes to my face, but more so usually not, and just in, in public in different ways, um, publicly ridicule or mock or jeer at or, or scorn things that between 
me and the Lord and our leadership in the Lord and our, uh, my community groups and the Lord, we look at as holy. We look at as sacred. We look as, as worship to him. And yet a Christian brother or sister will, uh, will publicly mock. And I've never really known what to do with that until we went through this series. I, and I say this because if you read in the book of Acts, there's this passage. We do have the verse. It's Acts 5.41. It says this. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And I've always like, enjoyed that story in, in the way of like it's helped me to know what to do with public persecution. The few verses before this says that the apostles were beat up and then let go. So they're all like rejoicing, right, with all their bruises and stuff. And that's like helped me, especially with the certain mission trips that were in closed countries and stuff. But um, I'd always viewed that more as like the physical beatdown, not so much the verbal or the um, emotional one, the relational one from friends or who were friends, you know. And um, this passage in this whole series throughout Proverbs, just looking at this is wisdom, this is wisdom, this is wisdom. And then, but that over there or this over there is foolishness has actually broke my heart free to be able to see that things that are holy to the Lord, that if they are viewed as foolishness, I can attach them to this, to this verse, verse 41. The apostles, they left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And so I'm not sure about you, but uh, I don't like looking like a fool. I, I don't like being viewed as one. And yet as uh, this passage describes a little bit and 1 Corinthians definitely gets into, when you pursue the Lord, it will look foolish to others, um, specifically outside of um, those who are God's people, outside of those who have redeemed hearts. But then even occasionally, you know, within even the church family, Paul endured it, which is crazy. He's the apostle Paul. Like Christianity had just started and he was being persecuted by uh, even those in church circles. And we might too. Uh, so it has helped me, this whole series has helped bring about great clarity for that. So I wanna, I wanna challenge you. I'm not sure in which ways you might be enduring holy foolishness. For me, some of it relates to preaching. You know, like preach stuff. Like literally, it's like, there's only one out of you know, about 500 in our church who's like kind of the, the one God wants to preach. So I'm like preaching most of the time. And um, we guard that a lot because usually when other people tend to preach, they just go down dark vortexes of, um, of attack. So we're, we're really careful. It's not just speaking. Um, but sometimes there's things that I'll preach that will sound like foolishness. And I'm aware of that. And I, wasn't, I didn't know what to do with that for years, but just pressed into the, Lord, your daily grace will help me overcome the fact that here I am preaching the gospel to a culture that doesn't care and to a church uh, culture in Greene County that sometimes cares and sometimes doesn't, depending on what foot you step on, right? 
Uh, but for us, for others of us, maybe you're, maybe you're trying to live out holy foolishness because you're in a relationship in which somebody, you know, the, your significant other wants, to, wants um, to move in and you don't want to until you're married. You're like trying to work through that, you know, the value of living separately until married. Maybe it's that debate where uh, the person um, that you're with, they are not actually a follower of Christ or not where they need to be. You're unequally yoked spiritually before God. And you're having that conversation and you feel like a fool. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to others outside of your circle, but it does make sense between you and the Lord and your, and your own Bible study. Maybe there's holy foolishness with you at workplace. You know, you attend a Bible study. Um, like at my workplace, I have the Bible sitting out almost all the time. And so when... When the team shows up, like if it's sitting out and everyone's like, why are you reading the book? Why are you reading the Bible? But maybe for you, you're like, I can't just have it sitting out. Or I'm, I'm, when I do, some people make fun of me. Maybe that happens. Maybe it's just preaching the gospel. Maybe it's going to camp or a mission trip instead of some sort of school trip. Maybe it's giving money to the church. I mean, literally giving money to the church, it, it, calculates into tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of your lifetime, depending on your work and everything. And that might appear foolishness. That might even feel that way. Well, what is it for you that tends to be this thing that is a struggle? I, I wanna encourage you, I'm gonna take you in that, like kind of hold your hand and help you to say like, again, some of you already got there. But for me, I've just recently been able to have a greater clarity on what to do with that embarrassment or awkwardness or uncertainty. And that is just to attach it right to the cross of Christ. Uh, yeah. Even if it's a, even if it's a foolish to, uh, To uh, some of some of you, to be honest, that's what hurt. That's what the, hurts the most. So let me give you a four little checklist. Here's how I'm going to wrap up. We got a four four part checklist. It's just questions. If you're trying to evaluate, is this decision or this lifestyle or this behavior is this holy foolishness or actual foolishness? Because <laughs> you kind of want to know. Uh, don't be saying it's holy when God says it ain't holy at all. So one is, in Scripture, does God celebrate this or does God condemn this? And by condemn it, I mean, you know, he says, uh, don't do this, like a literal command against it or a warning against it and all that kind of stuff. So does God celebrate this in Scripture or, or condemn it? Uh, that used to be a pretty go-to question uh, in the last, you know, it happens in ebbs and flows. Well, we're in one of those right now culturally where all these things in scripture, people are saying, that's not what it actually means. It's like, no, that, it is actually what it means. Don't, uh, that's, that's why everyone's believed that for 2,000 years. But, all right, so does scripture celebrate it or not? Let's use the objective standard of God's word to inform what we believe to be true as opposed to just making it up because you like this or like that. Then you get into Thomas Jefferson territory. So that's one. 
A uh, second question is, does your Christian community recommend you continue in this or do they warn against it? Now, a lot, that's kind of a, a challenging question probably because a lot of us don't really live in Christian community in a way that you could even say, hey, do you mind evaluating some of my life here? Uh, like, you wouldn't say it that broadly. Maybe here, I have a dislike decision. I got this issue and you wanna talk it out. A lot of us, don't want to talk it out, and a lot of us don't want to receive from what a circle of trusted friends might say. But I think that's an important thing, particularly if you want to deliberate on some matters. So what's your Christian community say, specifically like a small group? Thirdly, have biographies of what I'll call Christian heroes, have their lives reflected a similar choice or decision or, or not? One thing I love to do is read all these biographies. I mean, these people live totally different time frame. They never knew what a smartphone was or anything like that. And like all these people, it took like six months to travel to India. I'm like, well, I can take you know, 10 hours or 15 hours and be there. And so all those transportation measures are different, but you look at their life and say, does any of this reflect the people that have walked faithfully with the Lord in these different eras, these different cultures? You know, a lot of them, they didn't speak English. They didn't grow up with these certain things, but what similarities are there? So that's a third. And the last one is, what's the long-term fruit of this behavior or lifestyle? There's a lot of things that we can justify in the moment. There's a lot of things we can justify for a season. And I think that it's, um, it's, it's uh, uh, usually those things shouldn't be justified. But nonetheless, just walk it out, say, hey, if, if this was replicated for the next five years, what is my life gonna be like? Is this, is this something that, if this was replicated in the life of my child, this is what I would love for t- them to do or not? Or is this something that would lead them to actually live pretty destructively? Whatever it may be, those are the four I have for you. So does scripture celebrate it? What's your Christian community say about it? Christian biographies, you know, how does their life match up to some of this stuff? And then also, what's the long-term fruit of this behavior or lifestyle? If it zeroes in on holy foolishness, it's a a wonderful God-glorifying outcome. And if it lands in actual foolishness, then you are like so many that I talk to near the end of their life who say, Um, who tell me stories with a lot of regret. And so I affirm you, uh, those of you who are in these spots, continue to run hard in that area of your life and um, don't really give much care to what others might say to that um, if it is honoring to the Lord and if it's prioritizing him. And For those of us who might need those four questions to help equip us, then so be it. You got those. Uh, With that said, I would love for us to uh, conclude with this worship song. And then we've got a couple announcements. We're going to talk, Brian and I are going to talk about a couple things too. So let's, uh, Annie, how about we conclude with worship and allow ourselves to take not only this passage, but then even, or, or this sermon and this topic, but maybe even other other topics of our series in Proverbs and just kind of conclusively bring it to the Lord. It's all one big package to him and, um, and worship him appropriately. So would you stand with me? I'm gonna pray. God, thank you for allowing us to have 
your word to navigate this because it does come off a little bit um, a little bit difficult in certain ways. But I'm thankful we have your truth to guide us. We have your word. We have all these stories of those in scripture and so many other testimonies to help us to know what is honoring to you, what lifts your name up well, what exalts you, what is holy to you. And even if we can't see the outcome or the fruit of it now, and maybe not even in our lifetime, we can know that it's, it's godly it's God, and it's God honoring because nothing done for you is, is, uh, is done in vain. So, Lord, thank you for this whole series. Thank you for what you've done in my own life through it. And I pray that you would do a similar work, if not even greater work, in the lives of, uh, of my church family here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.